Derek Sharp here on USF Bulls Unlimited. Get ready to go bull speed ahead with a couple of special guests with Michael Kelly. Just a technical note on this show. We had a little bit of an issue with our recording device, an audio issue. You're not going to have any problems hearing Michael and his guests, but we kind of got it slightly corrected for the second segment. There's going to be a little bit of a hiss that we since, for future episodes, have figured out how to eliminate. But for this one... The audio quality is not as great as we usually strive for, but you'll definitely understand what's being said, and it's worth listening to, especially if you are a USF football fan interested in how the schedule came together, and you're going to hear also from a couple of special student-athletes in this 40 minutes or so. Let's go. Bull speed ahead. It's time to go bull speed ahead with Michael Kelly. Each week, the Vice President of Athletics takes you inside the goings-on at USF, sits down with a special guest. We even break a little news from time to time. Full Speed Ahead is presented by TGH. Now with this week's guest, here's Michael. Okay, back here on Bull Speed Ahead, uh, presented by Tampa General Hospital. And uh, this is a special week, as we all know, in uh, Bulls Nation in that the uh, football schedule came out earlier this week, something that we're always anxiously awaiting so everyone can plan their falls and their weekends and, and get around Bulls football. And uh, we're really excited to see it. We knew the four dates that were non-conference before. We know we're at Western Kentucky on September 2nd, home against Florida A&M on the 9th, and Alabama at home on the 16th. And then we knew we had a game uh, at UConn on October 21st. But what we didn't know uh, was how all the rest of our eight conference opponents would kind of come into play and come together and what kind of sequence and special dates that would come. And that's where our special guest comes into play. And uh, the way it comes together is through Jamie, Jamie Hickson, who is our associate commissioner at the American Athletic Conference that uh, really uh, focuses on all things football. But a big part of that is putting the schedule together. So, Jamie, welcome, and thanks for joining us here on the podcast this week. Thanks, Michael, for having me, and I uh, look forward to the conversation. Awesome, awesome. Well, this is so interesting uh, because I think people just have no idea the type of uh, project this is for, for you and a handful of others that, that work closely with, with you to, to do it. But this is not your first rodeo. It's your first rodeo with the American, but maybe talk just briefly about your, your background uh, at uh, previous conferences and, and, and how you've uh, kind of learned and, and continued to grow in learning as a, as a scheduler, which is a very specialized art. Yeah, so I spent 17 and a half years at the Mountain West Conference, and from the time I got hired back in 05, I was involved in football. So I uh, got, to, got to work on my very first football schedule clear back then. So as I counted them up, if you count the two we built during COVID, this was the 20th effort, and they're all unique. Uh, every year, I mean, you have some basic things that you're, you're trying to accomplish, obviously, but every year is a little bit different, and it depends on a lot of things, which we're going to get into in more detail here coming up. But um, this this was a first for me, as you said, at the American, but in, in a lot of ways um, uh, more of the same, just with some different players and, and a different number of teams that we're trying to manage. Sure, sure. Well, again, it is uh, obviously every every year is different, as you as you said, and different different challenges, and it's a it's a pretty complex uh, thing to put together when you have so many teams together. And in this case, uh, you not only coming into your first time in the American, but a totally new format for us. We we're, we're venturing into having 14 teams, which is more than we've had before, and continuing on with a fairly recent phenomenon of no divisions and you know, having an even number of teams in this situation, which we hadn't necessarily had before. So h how, did, how does that maybe differ from you know, not having divisions, not having uh, certain parameters in place that were kind of the first stepping point in terms of how you set up the system in terms of our, our new structure for football this year? 
Well, I got here in October, and uh, some of these decisions were already made, but, but oddly enough, very similar to, to what I had done at my previous stop um, and will be implemented this year in the Mountain West as well. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world strategically as a, as a conference to go away from divisions, and, and the reason you do that is to make sure that your two best teams are playing in a championship game, and ideally every year, uh, which has been the case in the American for a lot of years, more often than not, uh, the, the winner of that game, it doesn't really matter who wins, uh, they're going to go to the to the New Year's Six or the CFP. And so uh, by eliminating your divisions, then you don't have somebody that's, that's maybe a, a ranked team, a highly ranked team that's, that's shut out because they didn't win their division. Uh, the other thing I'll say just about the, the format, and uh, my predecessor was Scott Draper, who's a very good friend of mine, and um, I heard him talk for years about the, the difficulty of scheduling with an uneven number. So having an even number of conference teams makes it a slightly easier to get the whole thing to come together just because it's, it's easier to manage the open dates throughout the course of the you know 13 or 14 weeks, depending on the calendar year. Uh, that's an excellent point. I'm, I'm glad you kind of pointed it out. People uh, uh, you know, kind of over- overlook that fact sometimes, and, and uh, you know, the even number of teams makes a big difference. The, the point that you emphasize as to why did we – even do the lack of uh, divisions in this case uh, again it, it is common sense but when you don't think about it it's still a re- fairly recent phenomenon to kind of in essence make sure our top two ranked teams is going to be uh, battling off in that championship game to give us all as a conference the best chance to get to the CFP uh, in this case or, or near six for a couple more years and then obviously the CFP uh, when it expands and, and obviously just realizing that all of us being geared toward when CFP does expand to continue to put the American in the best possible position for both our champion and for the associated revenue that our, our entire conference benefits from when, when that happens. So a lot of good uh, reasons behind the uh, basics of your of your skeleton of the schedule, that's for sure. I'd like to just point out, too, that it did require legislative change with the NCAA to allow for this divisionless format because for, for a long, long, well, really since the advent of championship football games, it was a requirement that you played in divisions, and that was only recently relaxed, which is why you've seen uh, several leagues explore this or go away from the division uh, division list model. Yeah, it's another great point because it was really even during COVID, we almost got a waiver in cases to do certain things and, and, and really as a result of seeing some success with that, then it became more solidified with that legislative change that, that, that you mentioned. So excellent point. So when you start this process, um, you kind of the first thing you do is, is send out to con- confirm everything with the schools, make sure that everything's done, everything's contracted, make sure you got all the information you need on the non-conference commitments and schedules. And then you also need to check a lot of availability as it relates to what universities slash facilities are available. Just kind of talk through the timeline of that process. Uh, what kind of things do you learn from your schools and your facilities to uh, at least kind of set the uh, the uh, puzzle uh, board, if you will, the checkerboard has to all kind of lay out first and foremost as a first step in the process. Yeah, that's a good question, and, and I think it's important important to point out here, Michael, that with some leagues, very few anymore that have schedules that are built well into the future. I, I think that um, we're learning as time goes on that flexibility uh, is, is of the utmost importance and maybe becoming more important as the years go by. Uh, so we have some contractual obligations to our uh, primary rights holder with ESPN as far as uh, what inputs they have in the schedule and when they can provide those. And, and it's, it's not only a puzzle for the individual schedule that's made in each league, it's also a puzzle nationally as far as when everything comes together. Um, priorities from different leagues that, that uh, the, broad, the various broadcast partners share and, and what they want to see in a schedule. 
Uh, and you have to balance that with what the institutions want. You asked the question as far as when this begins. For us, it begins in earnest while the, the rotation is laid out now four years into the future, uh, three after this one, as far as who you play home and road uh, for those four years. Uh, we can't start collecting information, really. Or we don't start collecting information until December. And then exactly what you said, Michael, is we, we're going to collect all the non-conference dates, which uh, it's super important, even though that sounds like a small thing, to, to make sure you have those right, both the home and road sequence and, and what those dates are. Because if you, if you move one block in a schedule, the whole thing can come apart. So confirming that information, you, you mentioned the facility issues, uh, the various things that we consider from the institutions really have to do with, you know, something like fall breaks and, and trying to avoid, some try to avoid more than others playing home games when, when their student body is gone. Uh, local events factor into it. Uh, maybe if there's a huge game in the market uh, in another conference or um, another event that might make it challenging for the visiting team to travel uh, and get lodging, uh, that's factored in. Facility conflicts you mentioned. We have uh, four, four uh, institutions in this league that don't own their facilities, and that just provides another layer of, of challenge to the whole thing as far as when you can be in there and when you can't. High school playoffs uh, encumbering facilities, which goes hand-in-hand -hand with that facilities conflict. So all those things uh, are factored in along with our competitive parameters, which, which we try. Everything's important, but the overall goal of the conference is to put together the most competitively equitable schedule possible given all the inputs. Well, a lot of, other, a lot of factors that go into it that people don't, don't always realize, and, and, and glad you were able to mention a number of them right there. And you alluded a little bit ago, too, that I think is so fascinating, in, at least in terms of how college football scheduling comes together nowadays is – is it's certainly not done um, in a vacuum by any means. Uh, in one hand, we'll talk in a minute how you deal with ESPN as our primary rights holder. On another, uh, dealing with all of your peers on all the other nine conferences at this level, because uh, it all has an impact. And, and the way the way and the reason that our networks can kind of create the magical storylines that college football enjoy, leading all the way in the conference championship weekend, all the way to uh, ultimately you know, the bowls and, and, and CFP, is that. We can make compelling, compelling storylines story with the most, uh, by sharing the most information in the, in the schedule making process. And part of that starts with ESPN saying, hey, really need marquee games on certain Saturdays. Really need them to, to, to focus in on how to fill weeknight opportunities most effectively, not just in the American, but in any conference that has those kind of obligations. So talk just briefly about, you know, working with ESPN. How's that kind of come together? And, and, and what kind of things do you have to, you know, you've already talked about the facilities, the things you have to guide against, guard against, but then, um, you, you know, what's that relationship like with, with them as you, you know, really dive into it in, in January and then as you wait for the completion of a few other conferences that they're partners with as well before you can get really, really started? Yeah, and ESPN's obviously been a great partner for the league since, since the very beginning and, uh, and continues to be and, and well into the future. And their, their puzzles, every bit as difficult as the individual conference puzzles because of what they're managing. They're trying to put the mo what they believe to be the most compelling games in certain windows. And, and you're guessing, right? You're guessing on maybe who your highest profile teams might be in a given year and then any more. Uh, I think you're seeing more, more often than not surprise sort of teams that might have, might have come from a two-win season or a no-win season and have dramatic turnaround from one year to the next. So all that's challenging is they try to put together and fill their windows on various nights around all their other programming opportunities too, which is the, some of the professional leagues and, and other conferences, as, as you've mentioned. Uh, once you get into basketball season, then you're balancing both the NBA and college basketball around what, the, what windows are available. 
Um, so you, you really do have to have a great partnership, uh, as we do, uh, with certainly your television partner, in, in our case, in, with ESPN. And then there is some working together between the leagues, as you mentioned, too. Uh, and there is, a, there is an order in which these things get done. Uh, once we get all of the inputs from, from uh, our partners at ESPN, we just basically put them into the computer program uh, with our scheduling partner, uh, Kevin Paga, who's one of the best in the business, and, uh, and then go through all the competitive elements as, as these scheduled models are generated. And I, I just wanted to hit on some other things that, that we look at just from a competitive standpoint. And, you know, some fans might ask, why can't everybody have a have a mid-season open date, maybe between weeks you know, six, seven, eight, nine, something like that, or six, mm-hmm. seven, eight? And it's just not it's uh, it's oftentimes not possible to do that. But but you look at trying to balance the overall open dates in the schedule to the best of your ability. Um, you you want to match them up when you can, but that's virtually impossible to make sure everybody has. It is impossible to make sure everybody has equal rest for for every opponent. Uh, but with the, there's a particular focus as far as non-Saturdays go, especially when you get into Thursday football and just what happens, what the, uh, your opponent's doing the week before. That's a critical part of what we look at. Uh, tracking the home games on Thanksgiving from, from year to year, that's a bigger deal for some than it is to others as far as whether they want to be home on Thanksgiving or whether they want to be road. Uh, we look at how, uh, how institutions, each institution starts and finishes in conference play. So first two games and last two games, trying to make sure we're – away home or home away, some combination thereof for all institutions if we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to limit the back-to-back road games. And we obviously, as a conference, don't have any say in, in what happens with non-conference opponents. Um, but, but what I call the hybrids, if, if you have a non-conference road game, trying to minimize the opportunity or the, the instances where you come back and then have a conference road game too, creating a back-to-back there, and then just the overall back-to-back games in conference, which we do control. Um, so those are uh, some of the, the competitive things that we look at in the overall body of, of the schedule and do track that from year to year and just try to kind of to make sure that we're not doing something too good or too bad for anybody year after year after year. Sure, obviously it's all about the fairness you're trying to create. When, when you're talking about these parameters, are those probably the biggest ones that you pretty much guard against? Does anyone ever have three in this, in this schedule that just came out? Is there anyone that has three? conference games on the road for instance uh, or we've been able to guard against that uh, and then secondly talk about uh, I know ideally some people love everyone would love to have a bye week before they play on a weeknight game and that's just not possible particularly in seasons like this one when there's only a one bye week possibility um, uh, so d- just maybe talk about those two things what, what what things do you absolutely guard against parameter wise and then what are some of the special things that go into some of those weeknight appearances to make sure it is equal for uh, for the two uh, from a competitive standpoint? So on the the back to back to back, uh, that's something that we would never do in conference. Um, you could technically do it in with two non-conference games involved and have a three in a row on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were able to avoid that this year, as a matter of fact. And, and I mentioned this is the 20th schedule that I've built. Uh, I, it's only happened once, in any, and it was um, it was actually done in non-conference, so it wasn't something that the league did. Uh, as far as your question about balancing the non-conference games, that's where uh, Kevin, our scheduling partner, is so very valuable because he has a program that he has written himself that, that optimizes what we try to do. There's no such thing as a perfect schedule. Um, it's 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 not possible to build a perfect schedule. So 
you try to build the optimal schedule with all the things you put in, uh, all those things I mentioned before, the, the institutional priorities, the facility conflicts, the, the TV inputs, and the competitive equity part. And with non-Saturdays, he, he basically scores everything uh, that we put into the schedule. And then, and then when the, the model will generate a score that gets to a place where it's optimal and not, it's not really changing much, and if anything, it's going down, that's when you kind of know you have your schedule. And, and you've done as much as you possibly can do to make the best schedule you can get, given all the things you're trying to factor in. It's always fascinating. And, and, and while uh, earlier in my career I had a chance to do some of this work when I was at the, the ACC, um, and, and one thing I remember is that as good as your computer programmer can be, and obviously, you, as you mentioned, you're working with clearly one of the best and Kevin, Kevin Paga, um, I'm just curious, since it's probably been 10 years since I've last created a schedule like, like you have, two things once you get some optimal schedules in other words they print some out for you then i still found you have to then spend a lot of time applying a true human slash common sense <laughs> factor of reviewing that and i i can remember in my case printing out many that might be feasible if you will and then you go through and you kind of are just almost praying that some key things you're looking for <laughs> that make that wouldn't be common sense that you kind of have to throw out the window I guess long-winded way of saying how many things, how many did you review that Kevin spit out that, that looked like it was possible? And then uh, how does that process go when you kind of apply your common sense filter, for, you know, as a, as a football practitioner in the conference office? That's the, the art science part that you're very familiar with. That that's why you just don't have a computer-generated schedule and then you just play it. You do have to have the human element. And a lot of it is intuitive, as silly as that might sound. And you know, in my case, I learned an awful lot about the American and, and now even with the, the new American that we're getting ready to launch here on July 1st, which we're all very excited about, the, the, the things that you know just in the back of your head that aren't necessarily in the model, it's not programmed in there, and a computer, it's impossible to give a computer all of the things that they need to consider. Um, as far as how many models we review, the way Kevin works it differs from an old partner I used to work with. Where, where you would review so many schedules in the, in the old way I used to do it with a different provider, um, that there's so many things that, that um, Kevin is able to do and what, what is built into his program based on what you tell him that it, it shrinks the timeline of the start from the start to the finish of the, of the schedule project because there, you're not going to get one. more Probably 99% of the time you're not going to get a schedule that that is a disqualifier from, from the inputs that you had because it's, it's filtering through all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you're basically trying to, to – you're starting with a very good product that, that may not be playable, but at some point it, it becomes playable. And then that's when the, the art comes in versus the science. That's when you make tweaks where you can, and then you see what happens. Every, everything you change, there's a cause and effect. And then you just try to basically have a tolerance level that you – you know what you can and can't do and then you know when you get to the best schedule you know when you've got the one that, that you're this is the one we're going to play and this is the best model that we could possibly generate and, and one thing you said i think a couple times now in this deal it's, it's so important for people to realize that it always surprised me that you're right you change one block on this puzzle and and it messes everything up <laughs> changes absolutely everything and some people think oh i'll just if you just move this one game on usf it's, that's all you need to do and it's like no that impacts uh, four other schedules, and it blows up those important parameters. So it's a, uh, it's one when you're getting those final ones that are really close that uh, 
uh, you're really hoping that you don't have to make any changes <laughs> because it can affect it, affect everybody. Yeah, and as we've learned during COVID, unfortunately, the in rescheduling in all these sports that we did, it's not it's not real easy. It's not a plug and play one solution to to make games. If you lose a game because of a hurricane, for example, because there's an awful lot that can change. If you get really really lucky, which I I think maybe. Uh, the American experience a couple of years ago where, where a game was able to be rescheduled. You have shared open dates before a certain date, but I would say 75% of the time that's not the case. And it, it is a, there's, it could be massive fallout if you start trying to tinker with the games that have already been scheduled. Very true. Very true. Well, one, one topic that we in the conference and, and we as in college football in general are going to talk about, there's been some proposals that's been out there and that's the concept of maybe there being a, uh, especially with the new college football playoff format coming out in a couple of years, w will we maybe now adjust the schedule so there'll be a, a week zero all the time? There's a handful of teams that play in what we call week zero now, but one of the factors of that would be to be able to create almost assurance that you could have at least two bye weeks in, in, in every season as opposed to maybe every three or four years or however it works out on the calendar. There's many factors that need to go into that decision, as we know, so it's not that simple, but from a public – from a player safety standpoint and rest and recovery there's some good aspects of that of course um but from a scheduler standpoint uh talk about how much it's never easy uh, i'm not gonna use the word easy but how much better it is to have <laughs> multiple bye weeks to, it, at play instead of, instead of just one when you're making the optimized schedule yeah when you have a good uh, a great scheduling partner as we do the the more open dates you have to work with it kind of cuts both ways but it's more positive than not certainly the student athlete welfare uh aspect that you mentioned is, is paramount and and you just can't keep adding to the season without giving somewhere right so mm -hmm. uh, the rest and recovery element of, of a two by situ or two open day situation super important uh the, the trick there as you well know michael is that every time you create an open date then that's just that's more areas where there can be inequity and you have to balance that to the best of your ability but that's where if you can get more shared open dates potentially that that could occur when you have an extra open date to work with particularly in seasons where the calendar is just naturally a little bit longer as we've experienced even without zero week because it basically becomes a permanent zero week for everybody in those years and then there's zero week on top of it um, so that that's all being studied uh, continually by the by the cfp group and there's lots of subcommittees that have been formed to look at all these as, as the final decisions are made um, you know uniquely for for 24 and 25 and then what it's going to look like in 2026 and beyond is still yet to be determined yeah lots to Lots to look at, but something will be interesting for us to, to evaluate. So, Well, Jamie, we can't thank you enough for giving us a behind-the-scenes glimpse as to what goes into putting the schedule together. Uh, obviously, you've done it, as you said, 20 times now, but uh, uh, we're all very appreciative of your, of your efforts uh, here at USF. We find our schedule to be extremely uh, balanced and looking forward to, uh, to the new American, as you, as you phrased it. And, weeknight games people always look at right away and so we're excited about the opportunity to go to a new city for us in san antonio on a on a friday night so that'll be a great opportunity for us but on behalf of all of us thank you for your great work thank you for combining with espn and with uh, kevin to put put together a great schedule so thank you so much well thank you for the time and enjoyed the talk that was jamie hickson associate commissioner for the american athletic conference who we've just talked to about putting together this year's uh, upcoming football schedule and we're going to take a short break and when we come back uh, we're going to talk to Kelsey O'Loughlin and Melanie Green uh, great student athletes here at USF to talk about 
an important initiative to our students. When it comes to complex orthopedic care, Tampa General Hospital's Orthopedic Institute performs the region's most complex orthopedic surgeries. More procedures means more expertise and superior outcomes. We're named one of the nation's best for knee and hip replacement surgery by U.S. News and World Report and named top 50 in the nation for orthopedic surgery. Tampa General Hospital, other hospitals practice medicine. We define it. Full Speed Ahead with Michael Kelly continues. All right, so on this week's episode of Full Speed Ahead, uh, we're excited uh, to be able to have two key leaders in our student-athlete uh, groups from, from, from our teams that are here today to talk about uh, an important initiative that uh, is multi-year now. We'll get into exactly how long it's been about, but it's an important initiative for not only our SAC, our Student-Athlete Advisory Committee here at USF, but also throughout the entire American Athletic Conference, and it's now called Powerful Minds Week, so we're excited. But I'm excited to uh, be joined by uh, by Kelsey O'Loughlin from our volleyball program and Melanie Green from our women's golf program. So first of all, ladies, thank you for joining us on this week's installment of Full Speed Ahead. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. We appreciate it. All right, so maybe, Kelsey, you can kind of start us off. Uh, the um, How did the even the concept, uh, obviously we've talked before, Mental health is a, always an important concern for our student athletes here here at USF, but mm. it's obviously when you can see it also, also is a similar interest to your peers around the conference. How did this Powerful Minds concept kind of come together and, and uh, become what it is today? Yeah, I think just with over, I mean, the last couple of years, just across the country, I think there have been pivotal people and um, movements that have been happening to decrease the stigma of mental health. Um, and I think the American and the fact that they've been a leader in this initiative and this concept is really crucial. And specifically with USF, um, us being the first school to hire Dr. Lee and a person in his position is really shows a lot about USF and how they're the leader in the conference. Um, so I think just as the years have gone on and the research and the science behind all of this, um, I think it's just the importance has grown and people have realized that physical health is the same as mental health and just because you can't see one or the other um, doesn't mean it's not a real thing and you know especially at this level that we're at uh, Mel and I like you know everyone's here and has their level and their high performers but really at the end of the day it's the mind game that really um, plays the difference between one person and another. And um, I think that having these resources and um, shining the light on the importance of this is really key about this whole thing. Yeah, it's been amazing for me to watch from my vantage point since you all started this initiative, this to raise the awareness not only to us as administrators, but to see the way it has continued to grow. And I think the uh, the ways that you've... you've uh, as you said, shine the light on it and be able to spread it through social media, through other things has been really, really powerful. And the consistency of it, the fact that it's been multiple years, it wasn't just like, right. of course, not just some fad or have something happen in, in one given year uh, that we're all trying to, to learn from and get better. And we as departments in the American can continue to provide more resources, particularly for mm -hmm. our student athletes. Uh, I, I, Mel, in, in, in a way, you know, particularly in a, even in an individual focus sport like you have with, with, with golf, there's kind of a two-way approach to someone like a Dr. Lee or someone else. There's the pure, the sport-specific focus of, of pure sports psychology, particularly in, in a pressure situation like like mm -hmm. you are as an individual, and the combination of uh, just pure 
mental health, dealing with yeah. anxiety, depression, everything else. How have you even learned about it during your time here at USF, and, and how do you kind of balance both the needs that you want from, from both angles of that kind of mental health capacity? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a real game changer, to be honest with you, because um, golf specifically, like, we're by ourselves a lot. And, you know, we have long extended breaks in between shots and stuff, so we have a lot of time to just essentially think. So, um, I mean, if you don't think the right way, it doesn't matter how talented you are, it doesn't matter how good you are at your sport, you're not going to be as good as you could be if you're not thinking the right way. It's just plain and simple. Um, and Doc has helped a lot with myself. I know a lot of my teammates. I know a lot of my peers. Um, so, yeah, I think going back to kind of what Kelsey said, you know, him being one of the first in our conference, I think that that puts us on another on another level. Like we're already kind of ahead of it. Now we just kind of got to let things, you know, kind of fall in place. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, to mention quickly – about um we have like a little building bulls group um it's a it's a group um we're just mainly talking about how mental health is important um and we just i don't know if kelsey if you want to mention on something like that but um yeah. but yeah no we just uh we're more focused on destigmatizing you know all of oh if you know you're going to see a psychologist you know there's something wrong whereas like a lot of us we kind of carried around like a body of armor like you know we say we got doc at 11 and everybody's like oh you know <laughs> tell him to right. you know get back to us and stuff <laughs> like, you know like yeah. um it's always you know a good thing when you say oh i'm going to see doc today because because like for him and because he's so good at his job like what makes him so good is he's very much our friends more than like, oh, I'm going to help you do this and that. You know, he's very much just a ear to listen. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think we're ahead of the ahead of the curve in that particular aspect. But, yeah. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. Kelsey, how, how have you felt? Again, we, we can see the awareness is spread. We see the, the stigmatization that you've talked about is obviously occurring. But even in your two, especially for you in this case, in your tenure here at USF, how much more uh, accepted, similar to what Mel was saying, that people are – are more comfortable going but yeah. even with your with your own squad and, and volleyball how have you seen uh, in the evolution even since you were playing in the high school and middle school ages that it's become just more comfortable and, and obviously hopefully helping become a better player ultimately yeah I mean in high school I didn't even know this field existed um, and I remember when I took my visit here Dr. Lee was one of the people that I met with for the first time, and he explained how when he got his position here, they made sure that his office was, like, right in the middle of everything, um, right down the football hallway um, and right next to the academic center. So it wasn't, like, some taboo, weird thing that he was all the way out in a corner somewhere by himself. Um, so... It, just that in itself and the fact that everyone around was like thinking of those things um, I think that was super important for me when I came on my visit here um, and and yeah I think that the field has grown overall and I think that you know just Mel and I and we know our teammates go and see him and um, specifically with Mel and I like we'll talk with our teammates and if they talk about things that you know we know he can help with um, we can kind of be that middleman to be like hey you know I've talked to Dr. Lee about these things like he's a great resource um, because some people are super in tune with it and are like I'm on it all the time um, some people are like oh I've never tried that before like I want to see how it is um, so we can act as those middlemen for for our teams um, but yeah, it's it's just super important um, 
because at the end of the day, it's it's our mind and, you know, we're super high performers. You as our athletic director, Mel on the golf team, myself, um, you know, if we don't have those things in check and there's so many different things and variables going on in our lives, um, then just everything can come falling down. And as, and as many people are like, oh, well, I can, you know, I can keep it all straight, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's really difficult at this at this level and this point. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been cool to see the evolution and I'm excited 10 years removed from when I'm done here to see just how much more it grows, um, and how much more research, um, is going to be done with all of this. Well, speaking of growth, I know there's one of your, um, uh, one of your peers and Megan Sheehan on our softball team. I know mm -hmm. she's kind of I made this kind of our focus for her long-term potentially pro yeah. professional career to yep. basically get in that field. Have have, have uh, you all thought about that, or have others? Have you heard of others maybe being inspired, realizing, mm -hmm. as you just said, Kelsey, the type of expansion and bandwidth this this field is clearly going to have, and and with the specific bent on student athletes that I think can help both health yeah. and performance. Right. Have you thought of Well, that? I'm a health science major, so that. I mean, that field in general is just very interesting to me. And then um, it's obviously brought more attention to me as I've grown here at USF. Um, and just having that resources in him. Like, I remember mm -hmm. on my visit, like, we met him. It's so funny because I never remembered, like, hey, mm -hmm. you know, this is Doc, blah, blah, blah. My dad remembers it, like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it was yesterday. And it was funny because I'm like, yeah, I don't – this – that field is so new and so um, – just not popular i guess at, mm -hmm. at that time and now i'm just like oh yeah like the, i would not be the the golfer i am yet alone the person i am without you know his mm -hmm. help and stuff like that so my teammate is actually a psychology major so that um so i've actually talked to a lot of golfers from different schools and you know on our team i don't know about yours but mm -hmm. that are kind of looking to go into that realm um for me it's definitely i've thought about it for sure like health science I'm like oh well you know I kind of want to become an athletic trainer if, if golf doesn't work out but mm -hmm. I've definitely thought about hey you know if I were to want to go into like that psychology realm like I still kind of could I would need a, a master's to do it but I have definitely thought about it for sure I've I've had a lot of conversations with doc like oh do you think that I would be okay out of it because like that is such a, a like difficult field to to master quote-unquote like mm -hmm. you're dealing with people's thoughts feelings like if you you know, send them in the wrong direction, like you're now changing somebody's life. So it's, it's very important, you know, so right. a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pressure when it comes to thinking about, Oh, I could po potentially, you know, go and help somebody. So uh, it's definitely crossed my mind. Um, it's more of like a, Oh, I don't want to mess people up kind of deal where yeah. I like haven't thought about Gotta it have the more. Confidence yeah, to exactly. Would be I don't want to, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be the, I don't know that I could hold that pressure to, <laughs> to kind of do that. But no, I've definitely thought about when it for you, sure. You break par every friggin' round. You can you can have the pressure of help, helping somebody out. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it it is interesting, and I, and I think obviously similar for Dr. Lee's experience. I mean, he was a student athlete in college as mm -hmm. well. And while there's so many that go into it in the pure uh, health capacities that that obviously everyone in the world needs, but if you can focus in on college athletics and and kind of the special niche that someone that can relate to what you two are going through now yeah it can only help because kind of, there are so many pressures as a student athlete that go beyond a, a general student uh, in all due respect to, to mm -hmm. everybody but it's just an extra level of, of yeah. challenge um kind of in a related area but i'm just curious just from my own personal experience and probably the last similar time frame not because i was here but in the last five to ten years i've become 
more common in terms of meditation and things of that nature just mm-hmm. to even help me cope and deal mm-hmm. with regular daily stress and the yeah. workload has that become part of your all's lives is that another thing that that gets stressed and and that, that you see uh, athletes using more than they may have done in the past or, or even through dr lee's teachings um yeah and you know that's funny there's um there's a specific like well meditation is a common practice visualization um so like the volleyball staff at Creighton they created a visualization like app specifically for volleyball which is really cool yeah it's called NeuroFuel and I've used that a couple times um and that's been really cool because you can you know you can try to visualize on your own but it's very difficult Difficult. it's a it's a practice (laughs) yeah it's a practice that you have to do over and over again um and for me personally like my well, actually, Mel has, we have whoops. It's like a, yeah, a, the fitness yeah. band. Mm-hmm. So, like, sleep, strain, recovery. So, I'm very, like, mindful about, like, my sleep and stuff and um, how much sleep I'm getting every night because it tells me and my recovery. Um, yeah, and just important things. like. And then I think beyond that, too, is just, like, you know, w- again, we're all high performers in our in our own right. And, you know, if we get too bogged down in our identity tied to what we do and, you know, I'm a a daughter and a sister before I'm ever a volleyball player or a student athlete, just like you're a son and a brother, just like you are. So I think like just like bringing things back down to earth, too is super important like my identity is in Christ and Christ alone and like the student athlete and the um the performance side like that's secondary so to your point of like meditation I think like all of the things that surround our roles are super important because if we tie ourselves to what we do mm-hmm. and we're all going to have bad days. We're all going to have great days. But when we tie ourselves to that, then it's, or then outcome, our world, yeah, our whole world comes coming down. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, as we kind of wrap up and kind of refocus back on powerful minds week, I mean, one way you've been able to get the word out collectively is through a whole series of different uh, social media themes each, mm-hmm. each, each week, each day of the week. So, so yeah. far, everything from motivational Monday, tip Tuesday, wellness Wednesday, more than a student athlete Thursday, feel good Friday, and <laughs> shout out Saturday. Uh-huh. But uh, all the, um, all the are, are, are there, uh, first of all, are, are there specific ones that you guys have focused in on or that we have here at USF that, that kind of help create the ones that you guys have put out from, from USF SAC, if you will, um, and, and just kind of how, how have you even interfaced with other student athletes throughout the conference uh, as it relates to this week's initiative? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a popular day is motivation monday especially here at at usf so we do something really cool we um right before you get into our uh our uh what is it our clinic um Mm -hmm. we have a whole wall and we have sticky notes and stuff i mean i'm sure you know everybody's seen it yeah Uh, yeah yeah, exactly um we write sticky notes of like things that we're that we're good at or things that make us happy like oh i'm strong or you know my mom is like just anything you know something to make us all smile right and so um our big thing is, you know, we'll write a post-it down, we'll stick it on the wall, and then if you want to take one, you know, put it in the back of your phone case or something, like something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's something that we do really well, um, and we usually actually keep it up throughout the whole week just because it's been so, you know, th- the demand is high for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really cool. Uh, Tip Tuesday, we usually just kind of do something on 
Instagram or something like that. Yeah. We're trying to be more creative about it. Like how do we um, get it out more on social media, not just to USF, but to other, you know, schools in the conference, just because, I mean, what we kind of mentioned earlier, I think we are, you know, the leaders in that, in this category, particularly. Um, so yeah, no, just, just little things that, that make us ahead is, you know, what we're all looking for, right? But yeah, yeah. You wanna yeah, like we had distress day today, mm. distress mm. Yeah, Born. Thursday. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a part of the theme, but yeah, puppies. Um, yeah awesome. the puppies. Like they had puppies. They had massages, trail um, mix, food, and stuff. So yeah, so that was like really cool. It's a good day. Very. Yeah. Did y'all get down there yet? Or you got your appointment next. What's up? Did y'all get down there? Or you got your appointment next. We actually, I actually missed it. I was practicing oh. this morning, and then we had a recruit come in, and so we hung out with her for a little bit. So yeah, no, yeah. I was kind of sad. I I did get to play with this slinky down there before I came up here though. <laughs> Very good. So you are Tangled it all up. I feel so bad, but I had to go. <laughs> yeah, we're very zen for the rest of the day because yeah. we did it. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. Very good. Well, to both of you, thank you for uh, coming to explain some more about how we're how we're dealing with this issue, and this, of course, through your leadership through um, you know, through Powerful Minds Week because it's been such a great uh, great way to to emphasize and to uh, shine the light on it through uh, not only our student athlete base and to our our fans, but also to uh, all American. Uh, institution so glad glad you were able to keep it coming and to uh, melanie green and kelsey o'glaughlin thank you so much for uh, joining us appreciate it go bulls this has been bull speed ahead with michael kelly the show is presented by tampa general hospital new episodes debut every friday on usf bulls unlimited with plenty of chances of catching the show on replay for air times check out our twitter page at bulls unlimited horns up horns up For almost two decades, Tampa General has been named one of the nation's best hospitals by U.S. News and World Report. This year in seven specialties, ear, nose, and throat, diabetes and endocrinology, gastroenterology and GI surgery, obstetrics and gynecology, orthopedic surgery, pulmonology and lung surgery, and rehabilitation. Tampa General Hospital, other hospitals practice medicine. We define it.